Daniel, I'm I'm not sure what to do. We've got we've got two amazing films to talk about. We've got Godzilla minus one, mm-hmm. and we've got The Boy and the Heron, also known as, as How Do You Live. And I just don't know which one to start with. And more importantly, I don't know who of us should start it. What what do you think we should do here? I feel like the best way to handle this is the way that any good uh, game master would, which is to say, I think we should roll for it. <laughs> okay, okay, roll. Roll how? Like just like roll a d twenty and then assign numerical values to the to the film or or. Well, let me let me share a little bit of a of a DM or GM, whichever acronym you prefer. Okay, uh, I'm taking tricks. I'm ready. Yes, yes, it's good. Okay, so whenever you want to let fate decide something, um, but still give the other the players and the illu- the illusion of control. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You roll the die. And then you say high or low, and then they get to decide high or low, and then uh, that determines if it goes in their favor or not. So it's a nerdy coin flip. It's a nerdy coin flip that gives the illusion of control. Because <laughs> if right, they'd only do... said low or they only said high, yeah, yeah, let's do a yeah, let's do a high or low. All right. So um, which one are you? Are you going to say? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it on you because I have this lovely new alloy D20 that I'm that I would really like to roll. So I'm gonna roll, and then you can tell me high or low. Is that sound good? Sounds good. And, and how about this will be whoever opens the show, All right. and then you can roll for the film. Sound good? All right. All right, my friend. Here we go. I'm gonna roll right into the microphone. You can hear this nice metal clink. All right, high or low? Low. Okay, Daniel, you get to open the show today. Well, hello, uh, fellow uh, triumphateers. Or first yeah, trying wow. that. <laughs> that is that's a rough one. That's a rough think, one. I don't think we're gonna stick with that one, but I love your courage. <laughs> we can blame fate for that one. I am <laughs> oh, Daniel. <laughs> and I am Bo. And today we're gonna talk about high or low. What do you say? Oh, the tension. I'm going to pick high. All right. I guess then we're talking about Godzilla. Godzilla minus one. Yes. yes. This, is, this is secretly what I was hoping for. I've been so... Boy, the hair is amazing. And we'll do great that tone. next. Stay tuned. It's going to be great. Uh, but I, I am just brimming with, with thoughts about Godzilla minus one. This is very exciting. Yes. Yeah, me too. Uh, I saw it. You uh, actually told me I really needed uh, to see it. Uh, I want to talk a minute about my experience seeing the movie yeah, in yeah, theaters. Yeah. Because uh, I saw it at a Cinemark theater and they've got one of these, like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, well, they've bad. Got these, yeah, not bad. You know, Not bad. It wasn't a bad experience. <laughs> um, uh, but it's kind of a gimmick. Is to sell higher ticket prices where no. you can, I know, theaters looking to gouge you for money. I don't know what's crazy. But in this case, it was actually a really cool one 
where what they call D box seats, which are these seats oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that move and vibrate and do different things. And then you get like extra audio effects. Um, some of them apparently you can, they're called like 4D seating um, where they like blow air and stuff like at you too. I didn't have that wow. experience. It's like, it's like being at a theme park. Right. It was like theme park. Uh, but these just these were just seats that were heated that could vibrate and stuff with the movie. And so when did I it, saw, yes, you it, did you did this. So I, when Godzilla roars, you felt it in your butt cheeks. Yes, yes. And then when he stomps, oh. it was really cool. And then it would also do some other neat things, like when they're on a boat, the chair would like lightly rock a little bit. With the waves Whoa. until like a big wave. Like it wasn't super dramatic. It wasn't like being on a roller coaster, but it was yeah. enough to really sell you uh, on the experience. And when he's in the plane, well, we'll get to that later, but there's a there's a scene where a character's on a plane and when the plane cuts left or cuts right, the seat would actually go. Shoo, shoo. Ooh, yeah. Was it like, like how many degrees? Was it like a really extreme tilt? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say it was more than five like not an or unsafe 10 level of tilting, just no. like sort of a feeling of a just a feeling of being shifted. Yeah, and that I, worked. That didn't take you out of it. Uh, no, I thought it was really cool. Uh, although I do admit, I did not realize the seats were also heated. So I had this experience where I was like, my seat's getting really, really hot. I wonder if something's wrong with my seats. <laughs> and I like turned off the thing because I thought that somehow. The seat was getting overheated from the motor or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Overclocked. Right. But it turns out the seat was just, um, just, I also had the heater on on maximum setting and didn't know it. Mm. I was like, okay, well, turn that off. But toasty. So So you were really feeling that atomic breath underneath you. (laughs) For sure. For sure. And the hot dogs didn't help and the nachos. Oh, my God. (laughs) This uh, this feels like as good a time as any to announce our sponsorship by Cinemark <laughs> D-Box Seats. Uh, try them today. <laughs> right. Try them uh, today. For legal, yeah. For legal reasons, we are not sponsored by Cinemark. Right. Um, <laughs> no. I, you know what? I also had a really good experience, but I did not have a seat that moved. So now I feel like maybe my experience wasn't as good. But we did go to this really nice big screen at some some local chain. I went with a few friends. Um and I'm really glad you went and saw it, Daniel, because I, for some reason, I had this impression that you were not interested at all because I sent you a link in Discord to like a discussing film snippet where Steven Spielberg said that Godzilla Minus One was like the pinnacle of cinema or pure cinema. And you laughed. You yeah. sent like a laughing reaction to it. And I was like, oh, I just learned that Daniel hates Godzilla. <laughs> I had no idea. And then you te- then the next message I got from you was like 48 hours later and it was like just saw Godzilla it was awesome. <laughs> and so that was like from my perspective that was like a complete 180. I don't maybe I was reading too much into the subtleties but I was thrilled to find out that you went and saw it. I feel like it just does and and, and I just want to jump in because I I first of all I've never seen a Godzilla film before ever. Mm-hmm. I have never seen the originals. I have never seen any of the new American Remake. I never saw the 2014 thing. I never saw Kong Skull Island. It is always read as very sort of tacky and and flashy and, you know, style over substance to me. <laughs> but what fascinated me about Godzilla <laughs> Minus One and what, what got me from disinterested to, you know, ticket purchase <laughs> was that this is like 
a Godzilla story made by a Japanese filmmaker with modern graphics and effects. I feel like that was like the key that was missing for me because the only reason I'm not interested in the originals is they look bad, which is probably sacrilegious to say, but I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm on the young side. So, (laughs) (laughs) so for me, it, it does hurt immersion. Um, and, and this was like exactly what I needed, like an authentically told story about the spirit of Japan as a country and the the tragedy they experienced in sort of this meta way through the monster of Godzilla. And I was totally so I was so all in. So I, am I, I assume you have seen some other Godzilla film before and that I'm the heathen here. Is that am I correct in assuming that? Yes, you you are a lowly heathen. I can't believe I'm just kidding. Uh, but no, I have seen um, many of the Godzilla movies. I haven't seen all of them and I have not seen a lot of the really cheesy MST 3K era ones. Uh, I, do you know MST 3K? I, I I feel like you just gave me a cheat code to Smash Bros or something. <laughs> what is what's MST MST key, MST key, 3K key three, C3PO? <laughs> what is this? MST 3K Mystery Science Theater 3000 was oh, a series. Oh, you know? Wow, you got me. Yeah. Yeah, have you heard of it or no? A mist- yeah, Mystery yeah. Science Theater, absolutely. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Um, yeah, Godzilla, a lot of the cheesy Godzilla ones with the man in the rubber suit, fight, you know, fighting Mothra or like, you know, whatever. Right. Spinning monsters into buildings or whatever. Uh, that era of Godzilla, I've seen a little bit of those, but it, through the MST3K lens of like, Oh well, these are just cheesy and hokey and uh, campy, and they're just ridiculous uh, movies with that you're not supposed to take seriously. Yeah, yeah. And then the 2000 and oh, sorry, the 1998 Godzilla film with Matthew Broderick that was Ooh. terrible. It was like just terrible. I don't. It's just a terrible movie. Don't see it. It's really bad. That that movie came out when I was minus one. <laughs> there you go. So that's your Godzilla minus one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but that movie uh, is trash, so do not see that. <laughs> okay, okay, wait a second. So having having said minus one out loud, I want to ask you, because I have a theory about mm-hmm. the title of this movie, and I'm mm-hmm. really curious to see what if you have come up with an explanation. I read the official explanation. It makes sense. Uh, I'm going to withhold that for the audience for now in case they don't already know. I'm curious to know what your interpretation of the title of Minus One is, or at least what it was prior to hearing the official answer. Well, I'll be honest. I actually do not know the official uh, answer. So I will be waiting. Oh, well, don't look at the show notes then. With bated breath. Uh, Yeah. I will not. I will just cover that up right there. (laughs) Um, Shows how much I read show notes, I suppose. Uh, Um. So it's an honor to be your collaborator. Truly. It, it truly is. I mean, if it was written by Bo, I usually don't read it. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, in your defense, I write a lot. <laughs> and in my defense, uh, I don't read a lot. So uh, that, that's minus what, one. Yeah. Minus one. So for me, I OK. Godzilla rolling with disadvantage. Rolling. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, he's got a minus one counter. He's weaker monster. But actually, I, I mean, I think it's supposed to indicate like. A sense of origin to Godzilla would be my best Ooh. guess. Um, yeah. That it's like, oh, this is the... Because we see Godzilla pre-radioaction, radioactive transformation. Yeah. And so it's like um, like a Godzilla Prime or something, uh, where it's like it before transformation and then after transformation. 
and sure. it's like his origin story. But uh, I am totally open to being wrong about this. Well, I, I feel like you just hinted at something that I want to get into after this, which is that it's how they do the origin story is very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but okay, so my theory about why it's called Minus One is that... Uh, is that it's 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 a it's a score calculator <laughs> uh because spoilers godzilla loses uh japan what? you know the the united forces of the people of japan who sort of come together are able to defeat godzilla at the end of this film and so i think the title of the film is the score which is currently godzilla minus one he is currently <laughs> down one point mm. uh and 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 the people of japan are at zero uh, uh implying that there could be a sequel uh <laughs> where the score could be altered right uh, no the official the official answer uh this is a quote uh, the idea behind Godzilla minus 1 as the title is to indicate that Japan was at zero the country's lowest point after world war 2 uh and so till so Godzilla takes them even further down this t- this takes Japan lower than low they're already at the lowest point they could possibly be Mm-hmm. And now, of all things, here comes this impossible tragedy to take them to this just unbelievable level of incapability, of disorganization. And so the only thing that could possibly pull them through at that point would be a true transformative rallying spirit, which we, let's get into, which is this idea that that you should live, that mm-hmm. you should fight to see another day, that you should have this spirit of 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 optimism. Mm-hmm. And that that can be a, a true rallying force. That it is not it is not cynical to uh, it, it is not unrealistic to suggest that you should survive. Right. Um, that you should not be cynical. You should not be grave in the face of danger. It, it's actually more pragmatic to stand up and hope and believe, which is sort of an incredible, triumphant, joyous theme for a monster movie. Mm-hmm. I, I would say. Yeah. And and I also I was totally blindsided by that theme and 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 super overwhelmed by sort of the the beauty of it in watching this film. I don't know how did that strike you? Yeah, it was honestly that was one of the big things that I suppose surprised me about the movie is that in my experience having watched uh, uh, other Godzilla movies, oftentimes the human characters get uh, shortchanged. They're they're just cookie cutouts like they're not yeah they don't get a lot of uh there's not a lot of empathetic connection um sometimes it gets they the directors or writers will try to create it artificially like um in gareth edwards um beautiful but otherwise lackluster 2014 godzilla movie Mm. um because i didn't realize that was gareth edwards yeah and when you watch it and you compare it to like rogue one visually you can see like Man, this is a really beautiful film. And then yeah. also, man, they really shortchanged their human characters. And there's a lot of uh things in that movie where it's like they there's you can tell there was an effort to try to get us to connect to these characters, but they just didn't know how to. It felt very false and fake and just did not care. Yeah. Um, but this movie, Godzilla Minus One, man, they nailed the human story in such a huge way and was really, really well done. And so yeah. the fact that they made that their story, um, like you said, uh, triumph uh, over adversity and like basically dealing with PTSD and questions of like, what does it mean to survive? 
and what does yeah. it mean to to continue to live and yes. uh that you have to sort of like fight to live um yes. in a real way um and that that's the journey the main character goes through uh yeah is really really powerful and it was really really well done and it was because there was this fusion and i want to talk about this we talk about boy of the heron as well later on but this yeah. fusion of like fantasy and reality of like the reality of world war ii like the reality of war the reality yeah. of like being a soldier being a kamikaze pilot yeah. um and then like he under like the movie opens with him landing his plane and then him saying there's engine trouble, but nobody, but it's like, it's, it's an obvious lie. Like he just didn't yeah. want to, he didn't want to be a kamikaze pilot. And yeah. that's like really understandable. Like I, to, to, to be told you need to sacrifice yourself for, you know, uh, to, to like kill is totally like, it's horrifying. And he, he chokes again. And the beginning scene, like, they basically tell him, only you can do this. You got to get in the plane and you got to sacrifice yes. and kill the monster. Shoot the guns, kill the monster yeah. so that we can leave. And then he chokes again and then yeah. everybody else dies. I mean, what we know about Godzilla, who knows if those guns actually would have killed Godzilla? Probably would Yes. Have. But the way that the, di- the, the, the moral dilemma is portrayed to the character and the way the character yes. sees it is, I choked again. I chose not to kill and sacrifice yes. myself. Uh, to save uh, to save others. And, and it's a brilliant opening for exactly all the reasons you just described. It's like, obviously we have the dramatic tension, which is, you know, he should protect himself. Mm-hmm. It's not wrong to, to operate in this self-preserving way, not completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's also not wrong to, to be honorable and to do the thing you said you were going to do. So there's a lot of moral gray right off the bat. There's no clear moral good or moral wrong. Perhaps there is moral wrong in the sense that, you know, I, I think most people in current society would agree that suicide, you know, kamikaze pilot as an idea is sort of brutal right. and immoral. Uh, but on the flip side, you have it in this story context where most of society is saying, no, that is the, you, you know, you should go through with this. This is what we, you know, this is what we all signed up for. Yeah, like the emotional scene with I'm gonna get a lot of the characters' names uh wrong, unfortunately, but the anti character, uh, uh auntie, the auntie character. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, immediately first, she's like Yeah, gets oh, confronted you, you with piece her. of shit. Like yeah. how could you who You yeah. are the reason why my family is dead. You are mm. the reason why all this destruction happened, if you only you'd done your job. Yeah. And like it's brutal and she turns the knife on him. Uh yeah. you know, twists the knife, so to speak. Um but then as the movie develops, like, um, that character, again, also goes through a really uh, complicated uh, journey and development as well as she gets over, or as she comes to terms with her own grief and tries yeah. to help him come to terms with his own grief. grief. Yeah. And uh, it makes a really beautiful found family story that develops. Um, but it only would have happened if, like, they weren't honest if the if the um the movie hadn't been honest about the flaws of all of these characters from the get go, you know, to show us their yeah. their 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 ugly side, um, and that and, and actually now that I'm talking about it, like that's kind of one of the running themes with uh like the core uh family characters, uh, adult family characters is the first thing we see about each of them 
is their flawed side is their sure. their their um their, their not mistake. so good side yeah their mistake sides you know uh the girl uh offloads the baby onto uh uh main character to to zero I, I could be getting his wrong name name wrong uh, uh I'll, I'll, I'll google it while you yeah. continue your thought but by main character and abandons the baby and then he's like what am i supposed to do with this baby and then it finds out that oh she didn't abandon him didn't abandon the baby abandon the baby but like she's obviously not really she's a bit of a grifter she's got a bit of a a scoundrel edge to her um and she is just trying to get by and she's just gonna take advantage of whatever she can that's yeah. the first introduction and of course the character develops into far more than that um and you know it's really into a very admirable character um throughout the movie and again uh auntie with her you know hateful speech to uh the main character which is understandable because she's in so much pain but like that's our first introduction to her and then of course main character to him like landing the plane and being a coward and not um uh not going through with his mission and uh him dealing with that so and i think that's that's a really it's a really tough thing i think for a lot of writers to do um especially if you want the audience to empathize with them but it's a really necessary thing and it's really important thing and it makes those characters seem more real like the first vision we get of them is not being damned heroic it's it's being human and flawed and that's important well it's 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 but what makes it so beautiful though is it's not clearly one or the other (laughs) because he is doing the morally correct thing but he is being sort of absconded and, and 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 mistreated and rejected societally because of it right right so you root for him as an audience member and also you immediately have this this sort of mixed feeling about is this the way it's supposed to go or not right mm-hmm. right um brilliant opening one you know possible critique of the film which a film which i think is mostly you know blemish free in you know in my very expert opinion <laughs> blemish free um you know, is that typically if you were going to have a, a like a Godzilla film, my understanding, and again, I haven't seen a lot of Godzilla films. I this is my, this is the one, but my understanding is that typically you would sort of pit Godzilla philosophically. You would pit it against the city, and the Ooh. city would be the main character on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And as much as a, a main character Koichi Shikishima, right? As much as his journey does sort of epitomize philosophically where japan is at at that time it is not necessarily a story of the whole city not until really like end of act two act three of the film Mm -hmm. um and so one possible critique is you don't sort of get this you know bird's eye view like where was everybody at during 9-11 type of perspective you don't get these these slice of life stories you really just get this one main character But I think addressing that concern is that the main character arc does sort of philosophically cover a lot of ground and he interacts with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. And these people sort of give their perspectives on his choice. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the the scientist doctor, Mm -hmm. uh, Auntie, whose name is Sumiko, by the way, I looked into that. Um, You have Noriko's perspective uh and this found family idea and so everybody sort of gives their take on what shikishima has done 
And that is your kind of your view of Japan. That's how you get a sense of the protagonist of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's sort of, I think it's sort of cliche to say that, you know, the, the protagonist is the city of Japan, right? I mean, it's like, like almost you can imagine the director on the red carpet saying, well, really, you know, I view the main character as being uh, the city, really. Mm-hmm. The city the of people, Japan is sort the of a character in this, right? The people of Japan. Yeah, But yeah. it's, I think it's true for this type of story. I mean, that's really what Godzilla is about, is how do you, how do you characterize the horrible tragedy of nuclear war? Mm-hmm. And how do you portray that? How do you depict that? And the answer, I think, can only be some brutal, awful, awful monster. Mm-hmm. And what does that monster go directly up against? The spirit of the people, right? Mm-hmm. The heart of of the people. So I, I personally, I would have liked more slice of life. I would have liked less of, you know, Shikishima specifically and more broader stories. But apparently that story has been done before. And I think what they did was able to have a deeper impact in the long term by the right. end of the film yeah. versus sort of a broad broader strokes more of a impressionist moments um which which may have shortchanged the impact of that final moment um so i don't know what's your take on on that on slice of life of the city as a main character i mean have you yeah uh i mean i've kind of i i am not a uh godzilla expert by any means uh for sure um, as I said, my experience kind of varies widely between uh, MST3K, schlocky, men in rubber suits, movies that are never meant to be taken seriously, uh, and then terrible American uh, adaptations, um, er- er- terrible to mediocre ter- American adaptations. So, like, I haven't seen the original classic Godzilla beyond the famous clips. Mm. Um, and, of course, the iconic Godzilla score that they do a beautiful rendition of in this movie. You know, the... Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very, very campy, but exactly what it needs. It's yeah. the, it's the exact right tone. Um, I... Oh, I'm, I'm totally blanking. Uh, well, that that's okay. I, I'll let you collect your thoughts, because I, what I was going to say next was that... Um, in terms of like human individual stories versus like or slice of life versus focusing on a yeah. handful of characters, um, yeah. I def- I actually prefer the approach that they took in this movie because yeah. we really got to know these characters and their journeys, and that's what the movie was ultimately about. And I think that if there had been a more slice of life side stories, that might have worked for another movie with a different approach but it would have watered down or diluted the story they were telling with this movie, which yeah. was, and then we were supposed to take as the audience, the implication that the story of these like um, uh, nucleus of characters is indicative of the larger Japanese civilian story. Like we, yeah. we naturally extrapolate that so that we know that there's a bunch of other people on that bus that Godzilla crushes. But we relate to the Yoriko. Yoriko in that moment and her life at risk and her life, um, you know, that she's about to she's about to die. And yeah, of course, we, we naturally extrapolate, oh, her life, we are it's valuable to us as, as viewers because we've related to her. 
and all those other lives on the same bus, like they're just extrapolations of the same, like, you know, what their own dramas and their own lives. And they're also yeah. being put at risk by this natural disaster. Um, and then when Yoriko, um, I guess we're going to, we're going to do spoiler free, right? Or uh, no spoiler or, um, Oh, we, uh, we, I, I spoiled it in like the first 10 minutes. Okay. So cool. I'm just making Remember, sure. I was like, they win. Godzilla dies. Well, yeah, but I mean like, I think everybody kind of expects Godzilla uh, that the good guys to win ultimately. I didn't. Okay. Okay. I didn't. No, no, no. I true. Well, so, so real quick, I truly thought that the most hardcore, coolest way that they could end this movie mm-hmm. would have been the absolute, like, worst-case scenario. Like, I believed until the last, like, 15 minutes or whenever it happens in the story mm-hmm. that the mechanic had intentionally removed the ejector seat. And here we, I mean, here we go. Oh, yeah, I'm listening. And I'm I listening. also believed yeah. that, they, that Godzilla was going to win. Like, he truly seemed unbeatable to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was the story that the director must have set out to tell. Mm-hmm. And until they pulled the rug out from under me and revealed the mechanic actually had a change of heart. Mm-hmm. And until they were able to actually, you know, crush, until he was able to actually blow up Godzilla's head. Right. I really thought it was going to be the darkest possible ending. And that was, it was going to be so gritty and dark and grueling. And so I was like totally blindsided when it had this triumphant spirit to it. And mm-hmm totally helped me reinterpret like i mean i reinterpreted the whole film when that happened mm. That's so amazing. you were gonna say something about noriko and what happens to her I think. yeah yeah well i guess we we've blown off the lid we're, we're going full spoilers which i'm happy to do yes when you go um at the end of act two so to speak she uh, sacrifices herself and pushes uh main character um aside to like save him like yes. again another like then she died and then spoiler again i guess uh she's actually not dead at the very end of the film but dude i thought she was pulp i thought she was too i like i was was, and i thought that was what they were trying to say like that like we're gonna spend all this time to develop her and then she she dies she sacrifices herself like she she doesn't die for no reason but yes she does die because godzilla is a force of nature and um, yes, she was she was destroyed, and her life and that is gone. It, that would have been a direct callback to the tragedy of a nuclear explosion, mm-hmm. which is that it hits immediately, unexpectedly, mm-hmm. and obliterates. Yep. And I thought she got you know catapulted back, mm-hmm. and that that black liquid that rained down was the blood of mm-hmm. all of the victims. Like I was like, mm-hmm. like I truly thought this film was just straight up horror. And mm-hmm. every time I thought that, I was proven wrong. But anyway. Well, that, I mean, that was the, I, again, the sophisticated hand of this movie is that it really sold you on a lot of different things. And in that, like, you, it kept the tension high enough and kept yeah. it real enough that, like, there was always the risk of, like, total destruction. That this yeah. was going to end badly. And so you're invested in... Um, the character is not in a, not in a nihilistic way of like, oh, the heck with it. It doesn't matter. They're all going to die anyway. But you're like, you, you really see like that there's a battle going on and the movie could legitimately and artistically end both ways. And it still would have been a valid ending. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And so I loved that about the film, and I'm glad that it had that much of an effect um, on you as the viewer. I oh kind of gosh, expected, yeah. uh, I always expected Godzilla to to be defeated with a uh, mid-credits awakening, right? Because there's going to be a sequel, right? Yeah, um, of course. So that's how I kind of figured it was going to go. And then I figured, oh, once he saw the ejector seat, okay, he's going to eject himself right before he uh, blows up Godzilla, and he's going to survive like I, I had already. I, to me, that was not a surprise. Like I, I, my, my, my breath was not in my throat uh, in that specific moment. I was just waiting to see the, uh, the parachute. Um, I, so it's so like you had the. I feel like that like having those expectations is the actual realist perspective, mm-hmm. and I feel like my expectations were like story realist perspective, and I thought I was being the actual realist. But really, I was being like the story realist and you were being the actual realist. And of course, you were correct. It is a film. It is not a real, you know, d- these events are not non-fictional. Right. But yeah, I feel yeah. I, as well, I don't know. I yeah. feel silly. But no, yes, I was so. totally I was I was I was twisted and turned every way. Well, honestly, that's just awesome. I wouldn't say that's uh, that's silly in any way. Yeah. I feel like, and maybe that's what makes it great yeah. cinema, right? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like you feel you, I, it created that connection with you and made you believe that uh, when people talk about movies like and being surprised at the theater and with twists and turns and things like that, those are the moments that uh, they yeah. talk about. And so, um, well, getting and, those and moments, yeah. After and you're saying this, and it's like you're right. I didn't realize how special it was that I had a moment like that. But after, like, what feels like years of Marvel and Star Wars, mm-hmm. it's like even when something unexpected happens, it's something unexpected that you could have expected. Mm-hmm. Like, like when we were like, like I remember anticipating the Mandalorian season two finale, and. The question was never like if a Jedi was going to show up. Mm-hmm. The question was like which Jedi was going to show up. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's a fun type of speculation, but it is not. And obviously, Luke Skywalker, that's an incredible surprise. And mm-hmm. that was fun in its own way, but it's not the same as truly having no idea what to expect. And I think part of what makes Godzilla minus one feel like such a triumph. To me, let's. I would put. I would say a certified triumph mm-hmm. is that you. You know, you truly. Obviously, it's a return to form in the Godzilla sense. It is a. It is a remake in some sense. Um. But 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 that I truly had no idea which way the story was going to go, and and whichever way that it played out would not have been anticipated in the same way that you know a Marvel Easter egg is a reference to something that came before. Mm-hmm. You know, does that make sense? It does. It does make sense. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like um, we're talking about cinema in general. Um, One of the big problems of the marvelization of cinema is that by connecting everything to everything um, to some greater shared universe, the drawback to that is the sacrifices that you can make, the, the, the twists and turns that you can make in it are necessarily boxed in by the yeah. need to continue um, the narrative, right? And to the point where, um, like, let's let's take uh, Avengers Endgame as an example. Like, 
when Iron Man sacrificed himself, it was it was very like satisfying as an ending, even though we were sad to see him yeah. uh, die. But it wasn't truly surprising because we'd, it's been built up so much. Because it was the last someone, one. Yeah. yeah, it was the last one. Someone was going to sacrifice something yes. major. And it was either it was pretty much either going to be Cap or Iron Man, right? That, yeah, that's what it was. It was going to be one of those. Well, and two. I remember sitting there. I remember sitting there, like in the theater, and whispering to to uh, the people who were with me. Uh, and I was like, seven movies, seven movies on the contract, mm-hmm. seven movies on the contract, right? Like whether right. it was Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth, like or Robert Downey Jr., who obviously has re-upped his contract a few times. It's like you have this overly like real world perspective on the mechanics of the filmmaking, which sort of takes you out of the story possibilities. Mm -hmm. And with Godzilla minus one, like I had very little understanding of the mechanics that went into the film, the actors that were involved, how many, you know, films in the series, the actors had signed up for, you know, Oh, well, it's a Disney production. Like all the lack of familiarity really made this a a, a true delight. I think. Yes. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, that's the thing. What those movies are what are one of the big reasons why we go to the cinema um, yep. and go and because we want to be surprised. We want to have uh, new and interesting stories delivered to us. And, um, you know, people before, you know, Marvelization, people have talked about, you know, how like the Hollywood ending and the yes. Hollywood predictability, you know, and people uh bashed that too because people want to be surprised and they want to have interesting stories and Godzilla gave us um gave you especially um but I think it surprised a lot of people um in its presentation and the story that it was going to tell and that really yeah. everybody like anybody could have died anybody yeah, anything could have definitely. happened it could have had a downer ending like it it you know the budget was like i think 15 million dollars right which is awesome that it had such a small budget, but that uh, and that they accomplished uh, have, so much. I have two dollars to my name. Is fifteen $2. million a small or a large budget? It is. I don't know anything about money. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But when um, when the Marvels is estimated at like two hundred plus million oh dollar budget, yeah, good you know, point. Um, when Indiana Jones is like two hundred and fifty million or whatever, and then yeah. that this like film on fifteen million in twenty twenty three money, right? Is like knocking it out of the park visually with characters Dude. with everything, yeah. and the the fact that it was made on in Hollywood terms like basically chump change, you know, yeah. uh, is is phenomenal. But that also means that uh, that they could they could take risks for it, right? That like the return on the investment did not need to be oh we're making this movie yes. for the purpose of franchising it's- it. Yeah, it's not Bob Iger, you know, Force Awakens situation where he's like, we have to make sure we make X number of dollars because that's how much we spent on buying Star Wars from George, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. They they said, we, they basically said, we're going to make the movie that we want to make and anything can happen in this movie, you know, within reason. And uh, that means that, you know, when we watch that film, it's a self-contained thing. Uh, it doesn't even have to connect to the to the monster verse or whatever the hell uh, Universal Studios is calling. It, yeah, right? right. It's its own standalone story. In, in fact, I, we, you know, we hope that it doesn't. Yeah. God, I hope not. But like, that's important. You need that. You need that in um, uh, in a lot of 
films because yeah. you want to make sure that people really don't know what the movie can go. The story can be told in lots of different ways and can be surprising. 100%. Yeah. I want to go a totally different direction. I want to talk about an aspect of the film that we haven't talked about at all, which is the fact that it is a monster film mm-hmm. and then the handling of the said monster. Um, one one thing that was taught to me uh, in a film class that I took uh, about monster movies, I, I guess a story that I heard, but I have always sort of internalized as a golden rule, is this idea of of showing the monster as little as possible. Right. Um, because of what happened in Jaws. Yeah. Yes. Because of the production limitation of Jaws, where, uh, you know, because the mouth didn't work quite right, mm-hmm. they ended up not showing it as much. And I'm sure you've heard this story a hundred times. I have as well. Mm-hmm. But because the mouth didn't work quite right, they didn't show the monster as much. And the byproduct was actually that it was scarier in the film because your imagination did more of the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. And when it was finally revealed, it was sort of shocking and horrifying. And you had the anticipation and the anxiety and all of this. Well, so immediately I'm going into Godzilla Minus One and I'm thinking, okay, if it's going to be a good monster movie, they're probably going to follow the Jaws rule. And I'm going to be, you know, I'm not really going to get a full glimpse of Godzilla. Mm -hmm. And I feel like not only did they spit in that rule's face right away by showing Godzilla, Mm -hmm. but they also demonstrated a totally different way of doing it, which is that the monster evolves over time. Right. So you've got the alien approach. Yeah. What I don't tell me more about what you mean by that. So in the first Alien, the the Ridley Scott Alien movie, yeah. um the xenomorph, uh the the titular alien of the film. Um yeah. you have to keep in mind when the first movie came well, out, I have nobody seen, knew. So I have seen Alien, but I have not seen any of the, the, the sequels or, or spinoffs or Prometheus or any of that. That that's totally fine. Um you should see Alien too. That is also a really good movie. But for uh, for the purposes of this conversation, uh, in Alien, uh, uh, we the aliens' form evolves over time. And every scene they made sure that the alien is in, uh, they make sure that the alien shows off a new ability or a well, new over feature. The over alien the course of the film, or over the franchise? Over the course of the film. Over the course of the film. Right. So it starts off, we have... Uh, the eggs and the fa- the iconic face huggers, right? The face hugger, the chest right. burster, the, and then the chest burster, and the little creature that's like you know gnawing and stuff, and then yep. it evolves and it gets claws, it gets a second or it gets um uh, acid blood, right? It gets claws, it gets yeah. um, a second mouth, uh, it gets the ability to climb the rafters, it gets um, yeah. the um. Uh, the ability to eventually uh, survive the vacuum of space, right? Yeah. And so, and you know, when it's climbing on the ship at the near the end of the film, mm-hmm. um, trying to get back in. Um, so there are. It's always it, the tail, the wep, the weaponized tail. Um, right. So they make sure that every time the alien is revealed, it has a new ability, so that we, the audience, the first time watching it, especially doesn't know what to expect. We don't really know what this creature is capable of. Right. But Godzilla does the same thing, right? Does the same thing. You get you get young Godzilla, then you get a larger Godzilla, then you get an even larger Godzilla with atomic breath. Mm-hmm. You know, he can he swim? How does he swim? How does he bite? Um 
But hey, uh, really, I think there's just the three stages, though. You have Young Godzilla, you have Big Godzilla, and then you have the Atomic Breath reveal. Yes, yeah. We're, well, yeah. God, yeah, Big Godzilla is kind of a double reveal because you get you get Big Godzilla and you get Regeneration, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, you're right. Regeneration. We get Regeneration. But it they're, it's confusing in the sense of this timeline because like they're kind of mashed together. Because mm-hmm. we get hints of Big Godzilla, but I would almost say that we don't truly see Big Godzilla until he makes it to uh, uh, to, to Tokyo. Ginza. Ginza. Oh, Ginza. That's right. Ginza yeah. and then Tokyo. Yeah. And then uh, because that's when we really see how much the scale it's hinted at the size of this creature, right? Um, but yeah. we don't really get a sense of the true scale of the creature um truly until it's towering over yeah. um, the 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 city yes yeah and the, and that size is felt because you remember how i mean he was basically a t-rex size at the beginning right and then to see him scale up so much is is horrifying and the other aspect of its physical design that i found really horrifying was how they did they stuck with that sort of classic face shape for mm-hmm. godzilla yeah and they did those very beady very focused, you know, not snake eyes, not lizard eyes, mm-hmm. almost like human shaped eyes that yeah. are sort of yellowy. He's got Sith eyes is what mm-hmm. he's got. Yeah. And and you can always see the pupils and they're always very focused, but they're they're round pupils. And, uh, you know, it's like if you were going to do that original rubber costume design, but you were going to do it at the fidelity of a designer would today. And I think it worked very, very well. I think it was, it was. I mean, truly scary to look into that creature's eyes. I thought, yes, yeah, it had a predatory um, look to it. That um, also, well, did, it did. It didn't blink at any point, did it? I don't know. I don't think it did. If it did, I don't recall it blinking. I mean, almost like it was just like one of those physical suits where you would have these unblinking open eyes. Mm-hmm. You would think that that would be the kind of thing you would want to undo. You would want to make it more living, but I think retaining it right. made it even more unnerving. Yeah, it was it was frightening and unnerving. Like, and that you know, it's staring the humans down as they're uh, you know trying to escape it. Um, right, and uh, the a little bit of um, evolutionary biology here: um, eyes, Ooh. two eyes facing the front. Uh, means that you're a predator, which is why humans have eyes facing the front, but also oh. other predatory uh, animals. And the easiest way to see this is actually with um, avians, uh, birds, and um, like lizards, right? Oh, sure, like an but, eagle versus a crow. Right, exactly. Eagles versus crow. Do there are their eyes on the side or deer um, and so forth, right? So or I guess a pigeon, maybe not so much a crow, but yeah, pigeons for sure. Um, fish, right? Um, ver- you know, front facing, um, like an orca, um, or side uh, eyes, like um, you know, um, more well, like a. I don't know. A fish. Well, but I suppose there are some exceptions. Like a shark has sort of side eyes, but you know, the, there the, the point stands. I think right. Well, and also. Um, well, yeah, yeah. It, it's one of those two things where sharks are also kind of awkward because um, they, a lot of people <laughs> don't know that they're not actually like the apex predator of their oh, land. Oh, good right? point. You're challenging orcas, my assumptions here. Yeah, orcas uh, um, fuck sh- uh, sharks uh, up pretty bad. Clearly, yeah. clearly I have been very affected by the harmful stereotypes propagated by Jaws. Right. 
And and also now I'm sitting here scrolling Google Images and I'm getting sort of scared looking at these horrifying images of of all these different. Sh- oh God, that one was especially bad. Okay, let me close that. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to yeah. figure out the eye position and then I was right. just doom scrolling through all of these awful shark images. Monsters, yeah, yeah, and um, uh, it also had a sort of like a snub nose with like a crocodile yeah. face, like a and, pug, yeah. Yeah, like and, it, well, like a, I guess a crocodile is more accurate, but he was sort of squished up. Like I'm sure he has some kind of respiratory problem, <laughs> especially underwater. God, yeah. can you imagine? No, oh, that that's, the atomic breath was just a sneeze. That's all it was. <laughs> that's all. He, he just had a cold, guys. Well, yeah, that's what happens <laughs> when you have a, a small nasal passageways and you experience nuclear radiation. Right, you mutate. Yeah, your sneezing yep. becomes you know a hazard. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, the monster design was uh, phenomenal. Like they did yeah. a great job of merging the old with the new. And like you said, the, the effectiveness of the face of Godzilla um, yeah. really, really worked with that movie um, and did yeah. not look cheesy. It looked it looked really scary and intimidating. Yeah. So uh, as we're as we're recording this episode, there is some news which is fresh. uh Fresh off the press, a little bit of buzz about Godzilla. Number one, they're they're continuing to show it until January. They're extending its run because it's been so popular. Love Congratulations it. to yep. the filmmakers. Uh, they are uh, also they have announced. Was it today or I believe last night? Uh, at the time of recording, today's Wednesday, December twentieth. Uh, that uh, they're going to do a black and white release. I love this. I love this, which Jeff. is very cool. Are you planning on seeing this? If it makes it to America, absolutely. Uh, I'm is here it for just it. is it oh, is it Japan only? As far as I know, it is currently slated for a Japanese only release. Um, but I you mean, know, let, they also they... did a Logan release in black and white, uh, which was really, really cool. Um, I forgot about Blu-ray. that. Uh, so it may be, and it may be one of those things where we have to wait for the 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 digital release, um, yeah, to get it in America. I don't know, but I mean, it is gaining a lot of cultural traction right now. Um, and so it very well might, uh, make it to American yeah. theaters, uh, with a black and white release. Well, and you know, as we've sort of rounding out our discussion here, all the things we've said about it, including sort of my realization that it was delightful in part because I could not predict it and could not understand the economics of it or the business of it or the people who made it and therefore had more delight and surprise <laughs> and enjoyment. Um, you know, good on them. Great. Hooray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a, overall a win for filmmaking, right? Is you've got Godzilla minus one mm-hmm. doing the rounds. Being Absolutely. incredibly successful. Yeah. And I, I don't want to uh, sound like a broken record here, but 15, one five million dollar budget is crazy low for yeah. this movie. What's the, what's the profit on this? Uh, probably a lot, I'm sure. Uh, but to me, like, I almost don't think that like, the profit side of it, like, the, the you know, money makes the world go around. But uh, I almost want to put the profit side of it uh, aside and just talk about the fact that that means that, like, the Hollywood's strategy of, like, dumping $150, million, $250 million uh, into the, the inflated budgets of these movies with Ew. larger and larger expected returns is yeah. is just it's maddening right so that they yeah. have to have like if they have like a sub 50 million dollar uh opening 
like it's already Ooh. a failure, which is crazy to think about, you know. And well, I, I'm gonna. It is crazy to think about, and also I want to. I want to take this moment to to sort of like, like I think a lot of people. It's very obvious to most humans that resources and art have an intrinsic relationship. Mm -hmm. But I think what is not so obvious is that that relationship is not linear, mm -hmm. right? Meaning that like it is not quantity of resources that improves the quality of the production. And mm -hmm. in fact, most art is made better. We talk about this a lot on the show. Yes. By limiting the resources that are available. Mm -hmm. Right? This is like this is the this is what Nintendo is so good at is, you know, we make these games work not in spite of our limited hardware, but because our limited hardware forces us to be very very good at what we do mm -hmm. and think very creatively. And so this is you know, my my favorite band of all time, The White Stripes, they do this very well. Jack talks about like, well if I just if I just push the microphone stand, you know, an extra six inches, an extra 12 inches away, I'll have to work that much harder to get to it in time. And it'll force me to to sing in a more dynamic way. And so this is a song that I will sing until the day that I die, which is limitations make art great. Yep. And I'm so glad that you pointed that out to me about Godzilla. I didn't realize, truly, I have a hard time with the, you know, once you start adding all these zeros, I right. lose sense of reference. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm looking now. This is a $15 million budget, mm -hmm. and currently it is sitting at almost $60 million in, in global box office, which, to your point, doesn't matter so much to the point you're trying to make. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I hope that these artists celebrate their well-earned success, right? I mean, this is this is good math. Right. Well, but, and like, for comparison, if um, if um, Ant-Man Quantumania did $60 True. million dollar global box office... It would be an unmitigated disaster. And, failure. Right. It would be a complete failure. And I think Ant-Man, like, maybe broke even or at a small loss, ultimately. Right? Um, but it. What I guess what I'm saying is they are connected in the sense that it, if we can, like, try a bunch of films on, you know, a $30 million Hollywood budget, right? Yeah. And just get more interesting films out there without the expectation that everybody and their mom has to go see it, which is yeah. the case with Marvel movies. It's like we, their family, you know, take the family, take the, yeah. take the girlfriend, take the boyfriend. Um, which is just obviously friends. an unrealistic expectation. You can't do that every time. Right. Yeah, you, you can't. And it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way. Like, yes. there are people that I will recommend Godzilla minus one to go see and there are people who'll be like you're not going to get that much out of this film and that's okay too yeah and yep. the like there's not going to be a bunch of executives hand wringing because uh they didn't get um every member of the of the nuclear family into the theater right um and so haha <laughs> nuclear because it's godzilla uh just blew that uh joke up but Ew. um yeah, Nuclear so, War is a real tragedy. It, I don't yeah. mean to make light of it. Yeah, that, that but too. that was funny. <laughs> uh, ultimately, uh, I think that's where I hope that that's the lesson that a lot of um, the people who are in charge of like financing these movies see is that yeah. hey, like invest thirty million dollars into ten different movies, right? Instead of investing $300 million into one uh, movie that has to 
uh, it has to um, sell like gangbusters for it to um, across a worldwide audience um, yep. to to even make it worthwhile to make a sequel. Yep, hundred so, percent. Shout yeah. it to the heavens. Turn the volume up to eleven. Uh, share this podcast. Everybody, everybody's listening. We want you to email uh, Bob Iger. We want mm-hmm. you to uh, text him uh, because I'm sure that uh, we, you know, we are so popular. I'm sure we have an <laughs> audience member who has Bob Iger's phone number. Right. You know, just text him. Say, hey, man. It's yeah. not about the money, man. Right. It's about the kaiju films. More. It's about the. <laughs> no, don't tell him that. <laughs> no, wait, no, no. wait. No, strike that. No, never mind. Sorry. Right intention, <laughs> wrong. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think that's going to work out the way we think it is. Yeah, now all of a sudden we've got kaiju Marvel movies. No oh, God. Yeah, it's inevitable. Uh, it could be cool. I don't know. Uh, you know, it could be, could happen. We got a kaiju uh, uh, DC film. Did we? Which one was that? Yeah, I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna hold you in suspense. To see if you remember kaiju DC film. Oh, oh, you're talking about um, uh, Suicide Squad, right? The sequel, yeah. the second one. With yeah, the, we yeah, we got Starro. With the, with the star, Starro, yeah. <laughs> James okay. Gunn, of all people, brought us the kaiju. That's right, and you know, I yeah, I actually really enjoyed uh, uh, Suicide Squad. So yeah, I'm here yeah. for it. It was great. It's yeah, good, it was a good movie. Yeah, doesn't really mean anything whether it's a good movie or not. But you know, in terms of the future of the DCU, but it was a good movie <laughs> for sure, for sure. Although knowing James Gunn, he might like find a way to sneak that movie in. It's like, no, actually, that one was really canon. The Suicide oh, Squad yeah. before it is not canon and everything yeah. around it is not canon but my little bubble of uh of movie uh we're keeping that canon and peacemaker yeah no peacemaker is canon it, it, everything else is dead it, it very <laughs> clearly looks like the james good dcu is going to be superman mm-hmm. and then all the weirdos <laughs> yep superman Which because is, they're like james gunn come on because they have to yeah you gotta gotta have the superman yeah yeah of course yeah anyway uh, weirdos Daniel. on screen, not weirdos behind the mask. Not, not both. both. What do you mean? Oh, I'm well, the Batman's act- kind I was, of a weirdo. I was making a shot at the actors, at some, at the uh, specific uh, actor who was playing. Uh, 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 yeah. yeah, decided to. Start I haven't a cult. read about that. Oh, uh, the, yeah. the Flash guy who started a cult. Oh, yeah. Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller. Yeah, yeah. And, they're yeah, sort of yeah, an interesting. I was specifically situation. referring to like you know like all the criminal shit that he got um, involved in. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so. Let's. I think it's time for us to move on to part two of this episode situation. Listener, uh, we have no idea. You might be listening to these two back to back on the same day. Right. Uh, you might wait a week or two like you usually do. Uh, we are currently on a two week schedule in case you've been confused. Uh, so uh, that is why season two is off to a slower start. But we're so happy to have you along for the ride. Uh, we are going to transition into uh, Boy and the Heron. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think uh, I think we've decided Godzilla's a triumph. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Godzilla, one hundred percent a triumph. Um, Certified triumph. Yeah, really good, really good. One of the best movies of the year for sure. Excellent. See you guys on the next one. See you then. Mm-hmm.